We're freed from pleasing other people by meeting their demands and freed from protecting ourselves and our rights and defending our freedom from others. God's love in Jesus sets us free to serve all people in solidarity. This is our gospel right. This is our gospel freedom. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We want today to hear good news, not so we can become more um, smart, but so we can respond to you, Lord, in repentance. So we can be fully formed in your love and in your kindness and in your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's no, I'm realizing there's no clock here, and that's really dangerous for me. So if I look at my... Um, thanks, Deacon. Uh, uh, if, if I... It's just a conversation. We're just having a conversation. Um, uh, so if I look at my watch, that's what's happening. Uh, friends, you'll rem- uh, remember we're in this series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Deb preached last week. And, and the, the series title is Holy Shift. God meets us in our mess. Holy Shift. God meets us in our mess. And you'll remember last week that uh, we've been talking about the mess that the Corinthian church had. Last week, Deb talked about how there was some people that were asserting their rights and their freedoms to eat meat. I mean, they're Christians now. They can, they, they're, they're, not, they're not tied to their old way of thinking that this, this meat sacrifice to idols was part of, of pagan worship, right? Or that the, the meat had some kind of Jewish problem with it because it wasn't kosher. But they were freed from those laws, those regulations, the, uh, those illusions, and now they could... They were enlightened, they had knowledge, and they could act in that knowledge. And and Paul is saying, listen, don't use your rights and freedoms as a Christian to violate your brother and sister, right? Because it's not about how much you know, it's about how much you love, yeah? Well, this week, Paul, Paul tells us how he himself has given himself over to this law of love and how it works its way out in his apostleship. And we'll see that specifically, he says that his right to receive compensation and to receive an income, and we'll see it's more than that, but it's at least that, compensation income from Corinthians, he's forfeited it. And he's saying, I've given up my rights and my freedoms to take an income from you so that I can save more people, so that the gospel can go forth, right? And so his refusal to claim this right, it does three things. We'll talk about these in a bit. It offends some people. I know it's hard for us to imagine this, but some people actually wanted to give Paul money and they were offended that they couldn't. Some things have changed today. <laughs> no, they were really upset they couldn't give Paul money. It offended some people. It kept him free from their control. And it allows him to love and serve everyone, not just the wealthy or the privileged few. One of my favorite TV shows uh, one of maybe our favorite TV shows, uh, my wife and I share and watch, is a show called Arrested Development. Um, has anybody seen this show? Anybody watch this show? Yeah? Okay, so for those of you who don't underst- uh, know this show, haven't heard of it, it's the story of a family in Southern California called the Bluth family. And they're a wealthy real estate family that has fallen on hard times because the patriarch, George Bluth Sr., has committed treason. <laughs> He's committed some federal crimes. He's built homes in, 
This was, it came out 10 or so years ago. He built homes in Iraq under Saddam Hussein and broke a, a, some sort of embargo against them. And so um, he, he spends the entire three or four seasons of the show either in prison or uh, on house arrest or hiding in the family's attic uh, where nobody knows where he is. So he's the patriarch. Um, he, it comes out that he's just, he's just a really bad guy. He's, he's, uh, he's had infidelity and he's broken federal law. And uh, he's kind of a rotten, rotten dad. Well, the mom, a woman named Lucille, uh, is also not a saint herself. She's got, uh, she, likes, she likes to drink martinis in the morning, and you know what happens when you do that. She has, she has um, a weird emotional relationship with her kids. She's very emotionally withholding. They're all vying for her affection. Um, then there's four siblings, uh, Buster is the youngest son who still lives with his mom, even though he's in his 30s. He's kind of a mama's boy. He's got tons of anxiety. I don't know why. Uh, and, and he's uh, constantly, um, he's like in love with his mom because uh, his dad is like emotionally distant, and it's just kind of an awkward, weird relationship. The oldest son, jo- uh, George Oscar Bluth, otherwise known as Job, is an amateur magician. He rides a Segway. Uh, he's in his 40s and he's single, and um, he's chronically after his dad's approval. And so he's constantly getting into these agreements with his dad where he betrays his younger siblings to try to curry favor from his dad, but his dad's just using him as a puppet. And it's kind of sad, uh, but we all, know, uh, we all know people like this in our life. Then there's Lindsay Bluth, who is uh, uh, played by Portia de Rossi. She's beautiful and thin, but she is chronically insecure her mom always talks about how her weight is out of control. She also likes martinis in the morning. She's, she, she married a man who uh, clearly probably isn't into her or any woman. And, uh, and, she's, she's, <laughs> and she is giving herself, she basically does whatever will make her parents mad. So she's an activist for all the things that her parents would be against. And she marries a man she knows her parents won't approve of. And we all know people like this in our life. Then there's, uh, then there's Michael Bluth, who is, uh, as far as I can tell, the middle child. Uh, and Michael Bluth is played by Jason Bateman, and he's sort of the protagonist of the story. Uh, he's sort of the guy who wants to save the family and do right and get everybody on the same page. And, um, and he's sort of the straight man, uh, meaning like the com- comedic straight man in the midst of this um, swirling family of dysfunction. Now, I'm watching this show again uh, because um, it, it dawned on me as I'm watching it. It's really well written. There's some really funny people in the show. It's witty. But I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like Arrested Development is a story about the American family. It's a story about the American family, about the dysfunction and the brokenness and the relationships that are barely hanging on by a thread based upon all of our dysfunction and antipathies and emotional problems. And the voiceover every week kind of sums this up, and it has something to show us about what's happening in 1 Corinthians. The voiceover, as the credits are playing every week in the beginning of the show, uh, the, voice, the voiceover, who's, uh, it's done by, um, thank you, Ron Howard, just blanked on his name, uh, Ron Howard. He says, now here's the story of a wealthy family who lost everything, and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. Here's a story of a wealthy family who lost everything, and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. And that's Michael 
Bluth, Justin Bateman. Can I... The last episode I watched this and I heard that, I thought, why did he feel like he had no choice? One of the running gags in the show is Michael's got a son, George Michael, and uh, they've got a weird relationship too. Everybody's got a weird relationship. And uh, Michael keeps taking his son and saying, okay, we're leaving the family. I'm done with them. And they go, to, go away, and then something always pulls them back in. They live in this matrix of dysfunctional, unhealthy, emotionally enmeshed and engrossed relationships, and nobody has to live with the consequences of their choices. Because there was one son who had no choice but to compensate for everybody's bad choices. Does anybody know what this is like? Anybody have relationships in your life or maybe you come from a, a family like this or you know other families like this or maybe uh, your family of origin or your, your parents' family of origin is like this? There's, there's, a, there's a relational system where people are so enmeshed and committed to each other that no one's choices actually matter because everyone is working really hard to cover and compensate and take responsibility for those person's choices. Some of you are getting an upset stomach as I'm talking about this. Well, one of the ways to talk about arrested development and one of the ways to talk about 1 Corinthians is that the show is all about power. People trying to defend and protect their power, consolidate, they create factions. Mom and dad are playing kids off of one another so they can solidify their standing in the family. And then there's people trying to please mom and dad, to curry favor, either to get money, <laughs> right? It's a wealthy family that's fallen on hard times, or to sort of just get their approval and their esteem and their affection. We live in a world like this, friends. That's about power. We, we laugh at families like Arrested Development um, so we don't cry about our own family sometimes. Paul, though, shows us how to inhabit relationships in a community and how to inhabit the freedom and power of the gospel in a way that in a way that uh, is not trying to please people to make them happy with him or to, to uh, defend and protect and demand his rights and freedom so as to have power over them. But today, Paul shows us the good news that in Jesus Christ we have all the power we need and that power sets us free from having to please other people or having to protect and defend our power by asserting and demanding my rights, and my freedoms. God's love in Jesus sets us free to serve all people in solidarity. That's our gospel right. That's our gospel freedom. So, uh, <clears throat> this, this passage, this, this verse, I'm sure you've heard it before, right? I'm going to focus in on this verse and then I'm going to kind of unpack out, out from it. But Paul, Paul is saying he doesn't he doesn't lay hold of his rights and freedoms with the people in Corinth. This is chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, verse 23. He says, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in his blessings. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. Paul is, uh, is laying down his power 
as a powerful person so that he can stand in solidarity with the powerless. This is what it looks like to have the rights and freedoms of a Christian. We lay down our power as a powerful person so we can serve in love, stand in solidarity with those who are powerless. Paul is a Roman citizen. He's a Jewish teacher. He's male. He's an apostle. So four categories of his identity that give him social standing and hierarchy in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is a, is a, is a holy mess. Jews and Gentiles trying to get along. There's, there's popular teachers. Uh, some, uh, some people like uh, Ben Sternke. Some people like Deb Sternke. Some people like Matt Tebby when they're preaching and they're fighting about it. And people have, there's like a celebrity culture. I mean, Corinth has a celebrity culture. In Corinth, if you, go, if you were to walk through Corinth in Paul's day, there would be orators standing on the street corner giving these great uh, soliloquies of sophistry or, or uh, stoicism or, or other philosophies. And they would gather people. People would gather around. It was like, uh, like open-air philosopher concerts. This is why one of the reasons Paul says, when I came to you in Corinth, I didn't come with these great speeches. I wasn't trying to fight fire with fire, but I came knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came not trying to become the best celebrity, not playing the celebrity game. I came embodying the cross, proclaiming Jesus Christ as resurrected, and offering you salvation. That's another sermon, but that does have some things to teach us about how do we contextualize the gospel, in a celebrity culture. Some may say we live in one now. Do we play the celebrity game or do we subvert it? Well, Paul subverted it. And what he's doing as he says, I have these rights as an apostle, I have the right to get compensation. He's not telling the powerless, the weak in his community, that they should be powerless too. But he's laying down his power to stand in solidarity with the powerless. This is what Paul means by when he says, I've become all things to all people. He mentions, three, he mentions three kinds of people. He mentions Jews and those who aren't like Jews, which would be Gentiles, and the weak. Notice he doesn't say, I, to the strong I became strong. Notice he doesn't say that. He's not talking about the powerful people and how he's identifying with them. Paul isn't saying... <laughs> He isn't saying, I need to figure out a way to get in good with the authorities and rulers so I can actually have power to make some changes in Corinth. He's not saying, I need to figure out a way to curry favor with the most powerful person here so I can have the biggest impact and have keys and levers to get things done and make things happen. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as somebody who people look at as an authority, as a, as a teacher, as someone who has power, I'm laying it down by identifying, standing in solidarity with, with Jews, who a lot of people think are weak because they won't eat meat sacrificed to idols, with Gentiles, who are still second-class Christians for a lot of mixed churches. This is why the book of Romans was written, to try to help Jews and Gentiles be one body in Jesus. And the weak, the people whose consciences are being scandalized. He becomes weak to win the weak. And it's solidarity, meaning it's, it's not just lip service. It's not writing a check and putting it in the mail. It's, it's solidarity, not charity. It costs Paul something. It's a death. It's a dying. It's a laying aside. It's an emptying. He doesn't, he doesn't use his power to make change on a big scale, but he empties himself of power and enters into people's experience on a small scale. 
You get what I'm saying? You tracking with me? Just briefly, friends, this is why Ben and I decided to co-pastor the table. Uh, neither of us wanted to be uh, the, the guy at the top who makes all the decisions and calls all the shots and gets a parking space right there. I can see it from here. We, 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 uh, we want to, uh, we don't do this perfectly, but we want to model what it looks like to be in relationship, submitting ourselves to each other and calling all of us to do that, but not looking for the person with the least amount of power and say, you have to submit. No. Saying, listen, this is who we are. This is how we're trying to live into this. You can meet us here if you like. Leadership doesn't make demands on your submission. If it does, please run. Please run. Please run. Paul here says, you can follow me. This is how I'm leading among you. Meet me at the foot of the cross. He doesn't say, you have to listen to me because I'm an apostle. Get in line. Shut up. So I'll just speak personally as a, as a, as a white male pastor, priest, with lots of power. I'm just waking up to all the ways that I am completely oblivious to how I don't do this. Most of them aren't even intentional. Like most of them are not conscious decisions. I'm just walking into things and I'm like, oh, I think I was a jerk there. I think I totally was a jerk there. I think I was using power in a way that I wasn't even aware of. I think there's another way that I can empty myself without protecting and defending my rights or trying to please people and make them happy, but just live into the power of the kingdom, which is solidarity and service and love. It's hard for me. If it's hard for you, you may be in the right place. It's hard for me. Paul says, I become all things to all people so that I by all means might save some. This is a powerful person divesting power for the powerless. Not a powerful person telling the powerless to get in line. It's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, Paul, isn't, <laughs> Paul isn't talking about what we typically mean when we talk about um, being an attractional church. He's not saying, like, what, what will be most appealing to the most people and then we'll be that. Paul isn't trying to get appeal to the masses by making things unoffensive or fun or colorful or if you come, you get 16 free things. Like, he's not looking to hook people with whatever, like, thing they can bring them in with. But oftentimes, this is how this verse is used, like, Paul would do anything to reach anyone, so we're going to do anything to reach anyone. Actually, Paul's saying the exact opposite thing here. Follow with me. And I've got to do this quickly. Oh, gosh, I've been talking a long time. I'm going to do this really quickly. I'm so sorry. In Paul's day, friends, there was this thing known as patron-client relationships. Patron-client relationships. Benefactor-client relationships. What that means is, Paul would come teaching. And somebody would be like, oh, I like, I like that. I'm going to. And they would come up to Paul and they'd say, hey, Paul, we would like to support you. We would like to fund you here in Corinth. And we want to give you a place to sleep. And we want to give you food. And we want to give you this 
nice chunk of change. Right? Now, for me as a church planner, I'm like, sweet, let's do it, right? Yeah, but it came with strings attached in Paul's day. If he takes money and benefaction from somebody, guess who gets to call the shots for Paul? That person. And it's, it's, not, it's not like, there's not a contract you sign. It's just this under-the-surface stuff where they're like, hey, I'm having a party, Paul. I need you to come and um, be there and teach. And you can't say no because they're supporting you. And it was like, you know, it kind of exists in our culture. We kind of have some of that. But it was like really, really intense in Paul's culture. So Paul, everybody wanted to give Paul money and provision. That way he would owe them. But Paul decides not to take gifts from people because he doesn't want to be in anybody's back pocket. He doesn't want his relationship with the wealthy, strong person to, to cut him off from the poor, weak person. You see, Paul has a different missional strategy from many of us today. Many of us today are convinced that if we want to impact the world, we need to curry favor from the rich, power, and influential so that we can have a seat at the table. And Paul says to that, rubbish. That actually compromises the gospel. It doesn't help it to flourish. That's Paul's missional strategy in Corinth. I think it has something prophetically to speak to me and to us today. Because the Christian life, friends, Paul understands it's not a matter of pleasing people and making them happy. If I offend this rich person then I'm going to get a really bad influence here and then nobody will listen to me. So I better take a little bit of their money and then like, yeah. The story of a missionary from a wealthy congregation and the one man who had no choice but to keep it all together. Right? No. See, that's, that's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life also isn't Paul saying, you guys are fighting over things, but I'm the apostle, listen up. I'm the dude, Roman citizen here, Jewish creds, you got to do what I say. I'm just going to play the trump card. I'm going to make the decision. That's what, I mean, that's what it means to be a leader, right? You make the tough decision, you tell people to listen up, shut down the conversation. That's also not what he does, friends. It's not about pleasing people or demanding my rights and freedoms. But the good news in Jesus Christ is that we have all the power we need in the kingdom. It's not a zero-sum game. And that power sets you free. Not to, not to please people or not to protect and defend your rights and freedoms. But to give up your freedoms and rights. To serve people in solidarity. That's our gospel right. That's our gospel freedom. So friends, uh, what does this mean? We need to respond to this good news today. Well, um, honestly, friends, as a Christian in America, um, uh, there's a lot of language around Christian rights. The freedoms, the rights we have as a Christian, and there's a lot of fighting for them. And it's not just a Christian thing, it's a secular thing too, right? So depending on where you fall on the political spectrum, you're either really cranked up about the right to bear arms or the right to reproductive freedoms. And you will go to death fighting for that right. Maybe not you, but like y'all, like in a, in, a, in a cultural sense, right? 
And, and as Christians, we can get sucked into this fight for rights and freedoms, demanding and defending and protecting. But what would it look like as a church if we prophetically led like Paul did, laying down our rights and freedoms, standing in solidarity with the powerless, with the person who is most impacted by the right to bear arms or by the right for reproductive freedom, the people who are suffering and languishing there, the weak, what would it look like if we as a church did that? And we demanded, we defended those rights to die for them, to serve them in love, to be with the weak, so that all might be saved. Everyone wants to fight for their right for something. We have the freedom and the right to lay down our lives in solidarity for others. There's this uh, video uh, uh, this impacts the way we think of missions, friends. There's a video recently, Conan O'Brien. Yes, no, Conan O'Brien? The big, tall, red-headed, funny guy. He uh, went to Haiti, and he was talking to this group of kids. And they're all speaking French and Creole. I'm not quite sure which they're speaking. I think it's Creole. And, um, and they're, like, touching his arm. Have you guys seen this video? He's, he's got an arm out of this SUV, and they're touching his arm, and they're pointing to his freckles. And... Um, they're talking about his brown spots, his freckles. And, and he says, uh, one of the kids says, those brown spots are like all the things that the United States has taken from Haiti. Like these little, ki- like little kids, like Deacon and Olivia's age. And uh, Conan goes, yeah, but that's why we're here. We're here to help you. America doesn't want to take anything more from you. We want to help you. And this little girl goes off. Like just goes off. She's like, we don't need your help. Every time the white people come, they take things from us. You go back. We don't need your help. You've helped enough. And Conan's like, you know, Conan's like, like he's taken aback and whatever. And he admit, he goes, yeah, maybe we haven't been so good, but maybe we can become better. Yeah? Friends, the kind, of, the kind of leveraging power that Paul's talking about isn't a benevolent charity that looks at poverty over there and writes a check. Because when we do, what happens is we don't stand in solidarity with, with the weak and the poor. And eventually, like, eventually, uh, the weak and the poor say, we don't want your help. You're not helping. Out of the mouths of babes. So we want to look for ways to stand in solidarity, serving in love, leveraging our freedom and rights. We have tons of them in Jesus Christ, amen? <laughs> leveraging those for those people. Getting with them. Okay, you don't want my help. How, how can you help me? What do you have for me? What do you need from me? What, what do I need from you? When we listen, I'll just listen. This impacts how we're building this church, friends. We're, ben and I are both bivocational. means we don't take much salary from the table. We try to We've got uh, 14 or 15 other income streams, uh, selling Amway and uh, waiting tables at uh, Chi-Chi's. You know, like we're doing all this stuff to um, help fund this, this church. Um, I'm not really selling Amway, although if you've ever thought about going into business for yourself. Um, <laughs> um, but friends, there, there's a real sense in which um, if, if, I, if I needed tithes and offerings from the table, to pay my salary, there are things that I wouldn't say on a Sunday morning because I couldn't afford you leaving. 
One of the benefits the bivocational rally gives us is that I'm, I, I want to talk about how Christians get embroiled in rights and freedoms and it ruins our witness. And if that bothers you and you never come back, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. God bless you. God bless you. But I've got to, I've got to preach the gospel. I've got to preach the gospel. All right. We need to respond. We need to respond, friends. And there's lots of ways to respond. Shared a few ways that as a church we want to respond in terms of how we lead. We die first. We divest our power first. We listen first. In terms of missions, how we don't want to just write checks and send benevolent charity, but we want to stand in solidarity and serve those others. But personally, friends, we want to become the kind of people who don't demand and defend our rights and freedoms or try to please people with our rights and freedoms. But we can serve other people in love because nothing they can do can compromise our freedom in Christ. Nothing. We have all the rights and freedoms we need. So this prayer here, um, let's use this prayer as a way to, to, to offer our bodies to the Lord, offer our relationships and, and situations to God so we can experience this love and this power and this freedom that Jesus offers us in his life, death, and resurrection. God, I thank you that we have all the rights and freedoms we need in Jesus Christ. I pray you would help me to stand in solidarity with blank so they may know your salvation. Basically, the prayer is, I want to become all things to this person by giving my power up for them by submitting myself to them in love. And then you'll, we'll pray, Lord, in your mercy. We'll pray, amen. Friends, we do this every week because um, our God is a good God. He's a good dad. He knows we need before we ask. So we can let our words be few and we can just make our offerings, submit ourselves to the Lord.